For our <clears throat> scripture today, um, I'm going to be reading a series of different scriptures, um, both Old and New Testament, and I think it'll be too difficult to turn to all of them. And so <clears throat> we will just, um, I'll just read them to you, <clears throat> and then we will hopefully explain them. I think I'll just read the scriptures. I think you'll begin to pick up the subject, but um, not necessarily go into the subject right now. We'll just read the scriptures. First one we find is in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. This is Moses, and he is praying to the Lord right after the Israelites made the golden calf. It came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord, which is on the top of Mount Sinai, where he had just come from, and said, All these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, there's just a pause, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Then, from the book of Daniel, And Daniel's one of the prophets of end times events. At that time, chapter 12, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. In Luke, after sending out the 70 preachers, and they returned, bringing their report to Jesus, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. I cast him out. So I, I've seen what you are so worked up about. I've already seen it. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather Rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Then in Hebrews, chapter 12, You have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, having been made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Then, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. <clears throat> Revelation again, 13. They worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Then he, the beast, opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, that is, the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21. The twelve gates of the city were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Finally, Revelation 22. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, 
from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. If you were listening, you heard frequently the words about a book. There is an illustration for us, often from ancient practices. City-states, small towns, whoever, would keep a book of all births, all deaths. When a person passed away, that was noted, and sometimes their name was moved from what they literally called the book of the living to the book of the dead. And there was one other way in which your name was treated. If you committed a crime against that society in which you lived, you were disruptive, you were wicked, you injured others, your name was blotted out of the book of the living and you forfeited your privileges as a citizen, you forfeited your right to dwell there, you were an outcast. We know, too, if we read the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, an underlying theme is a lot, and how many of you, and I'll ask you here to be you know, very honest, God is watching you, how many of you skim or skip, and I really am not asking for you to raise your hands, how many skim or skip the genealogies in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament? <laughs> Listen, but there's a reason for those. If you were not legitimately a son of Israel, a daughter of Israel, you were denied access to the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, then the temple when it was built. You could not enter to worship. You were, you were forbidden because you weren't one of God's. You weren't one of the chosen. Now, you could become a proselyte. You could convert. But the genealogies then became important after the Babylonian captivity, when they all came back from the Babylonian exile, 70 years, town of Jerusalem, or city of Jerusalem was completely razed clear to the ground, temple gone, palaces gone, wall knocked down. If you've ever read the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, there was careful, careful search of all of the genealogical records to find out who was a legitimate priest and who wasn't. And there were some people who represented themselves in Babylon is, yeah, I'm a priest. I'm a, I'm a descendant of the priestly line. And they traveled all the way from Babylon to Jerusalem. And it says when they got there, Ezra went through the genealogies and found out, and they're named there. I don't remember their names. But they're named there. They were not one of the priestly line, and they were turned away. They were 
excommunicated. They had represented themselves as being something that they weren't. The whole notion then of genealogies in Scripture was you're identified as one of God's chosen, one of the people of God, and your name's there. So when in the Christian dispensation, then, that theme continues on. And God has a book. And he writes names in it, and we're told frequently, he blots them out. So looking now at that concept of God keeping a book, when Moses mentioned in Exodus the existence of this book, and he said, Lord, if all of Israel's going to be obliterated, which it looked like it was going to be, Moses is interceding for them. He said, Lord, it's so grievous to me, I, I can wish that I perish with them. So go ahead and blot my name out of the book, too. And God responded to him. He said, no. I only blot out of my book those who sin against me. Now, I have to quickly define sin. And I, I don't want to get off the track here. But if God said, I will blot you out of my book if you sin against me, we need to know what sin means. Why do I say that? Because the word sin, like about 15 million other words in our culture, including church culture, has been completely wrecked. The word sin means nothing anymore. Because we have been told from thousands of pulpits and curriculum and Christian colleges and every time we turn around, we all do, we, every, everyone just sins and we're thought and deed every day. We just sin, we just sin, we just sin. We're all sinners, we're all sinners, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. I get so sick and tired of hearing that. I don't know who either doesn't own a Bible, has one, never opened it, but all, all of the massive number of scriptures, Jesus said to people, go and sin in word and thought every day. No! Go and sin no more! How in the world, in John said, now we know that he that's born of God does not keep on sinning. What's the matter? What is the matter? That we can't just take the plain word of God and believe it. One of the problems has been, and I think it's intentional, I don't want to get too stirred up. We've got to be calm. You know? We need to be mild-mannered. I heard this. 
There's too many mild-mannered preachers who preach mild-mannered sermons who make mild-mannered people more mild-mannered. Sin will block you out, blot you out of the book. It matters that we know what he's talking about. He's not talking about mistakes. He's not talking about good motives, but errors that we make. Those are, to quote John Wesley, founder of the Methodists, those are, quote, sins improperly so-called. They're infirmities, they're failings, they're shortcomings. But it's not the kind of sin which must have two elements. To be sin, you must have knowledge of God's will for you. Knowledge of His plain commandments. And a specific decision to violate it. James said, He that knows to do good. Okay, you, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. He that knows to do good and does not do it. To him, that's sin. Jesus is fair. He told the Pharisees, a rat bunch. And they were picking at him, and he, he told them, he said, if I hadn't come, you wouldn't have sin. What does that mean? It means that God's fair. He doesn't ever judge me for going against light that I don't have. God's issue is what do I do with what I do know? Whatever light that I have, what do I do with it? If I defy it, that's sin. But he's not talking. He's not talking about mistakes. One more scripture and then I'll get off of that. Jesus said to the poor dear soul that was 38 years unable to walk, lying by the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus came up to him <clears throat> and asked him what we would consider, I suppose, a ridiculous question, but it isn't. The guy's been there 38 years, and he says, Do you want to get well? What? It's a legitimate question. Do you want to get well? Or do you want to stay in this condition? Jesus then said to him, Take up your bedroll and walk. He stood up, walked. Won't get into all the business with the Pharisees because it was the Sabbath day. Then Jesus said to him, I, I really want this to sink in. I know some of you have heard me give this verse before, but it's in the Bible. Jesus said to him, now you're healed. Go, sin no more, or a worse thing will happen to you. Worse than what? 
38 years lying unable to move, unable to walk. Now Jesus says to this poor guy, go and don't you commit a mistake. Don't you fail. Don't you misunderstand. Don't you misinterpret what someone else said. You, you be flawless. Or a worse thing will happen to you. Listen, if that guy had any sense, and if he believed in today's definition of sin that's used all the time, he'd have just rolled his sleeping bag back up and crawled in it and said, okay, because I'll be back here in ten minutes. God said to Moses, those who sin against me, I'll blot out of my book. That's willful, deliberate, and the Old Testament does have, and the King James Version uses it once, one or two places. It talks about high-handed sin. It means in your face. That'll get you blotted out of the book. That's what he means by sin here. Not mistakes. Now, there's some things here that I hope, I think I can prove to you. I'm convinced that point one here, all souls, everybody who's ever lived, all souls initially are in the book of life. Every human being that's born into this world is in the book of life. All children, all infants, all innocents are in the book of life. Everybody's in the book of life to begin with. What's the scripture for that? Well, Jesus comments teaching about children. Their angels always behold the face of the Father. Become like one of these little children or you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Allow the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then Paul, in Romans 6, says, I was alive without the law once at one time. He means before I understood or knew or had the mental, moral, mature capacity to discern God's will and choose to obey it or disobey it. He said, I was alive when I didn't know the law, meaning before the age of accountability, which varies with every person. But then he, he says in the rest of that sentence, when the law came, Meaning light finally dawned in my heart and I, I began to discern right from wrong in my conscience and oughts and shoulds and shouldn'ts. And he said, when that came to me, when knowledge of that dawned on me, sin sprang to life and I died. All have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. So everyone at some point, early in our infancy till the age of accountability, 
we're in the book of life. But when we sin as all do, we're no longer in the book of life. That's why Jesus said, you have to be born again. Or born a second time. To get restored to the book of life. Does that make any sense? The second thing that we've covered, I think, enough is that all who've sinned against God are blotted out. And that's everyone. Because he said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. First Corinthians, he said, in Adam all have died. In other words, we followed Adam's route and walked his path and suffered the consequences. We're cut off from the book of life. The third thing <clears throat> the scripture, Hebrews 12 specifically, tells us how we are restored. How do we as sinners and lost and dead and blotted out, how do I regain and be restored to God's book of life? The writer of the Hebrews says, you've come, you've come to the spiritual Mount Sinai, and you've come to the general assembly and those who were born of God, and to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant. And it says that you are born. The born, who it says are registered in heaven. So there is a book in heaven that God has kept, and I am restored to that when I come to, and the word church, the called out ones, the ones who obey the call and come to Christ, put their trust in Him, are born again, and their names are written in heaven. The fourth thing that I want us to notice from the scripture in Luke, Jesus said, when the 70 disciples came back and they were regaling Jesus with all the stories, and they were legitimate, but they were saying, boy, we went to this town and there was this guy and there's whatever, he was, he was demon-possessed, and we gathered around and we cast that demon out, and somebody else comes out, well, yeah, but that, listen, we cast two demons out. And somebody over here says, yeah, but there was a whole house full of lepers and we healed them all. It was signs and wonders. It was the sensational stuff. And they were starting to get caught up in it. There is something just in human nature. We, we, we're interested in the spectacular, the blinking neon lights, um, we're drawn to that. And Jesus cautioned them. He said, don't get, don't get caught in this. Growing up in Eugene, there was a 
pretty good-sized church that always had this big banner hanging out in front. They'd put it up every week. And they had some kind of special Saturday night to do. And they had this huge banner across the front of their building. Holy Ghost Miracles and Healings, Saturday nights at 7 o'clock. Now, I don't know if Jesus did anything on Friday or how long after 7 o'clock on Saturday. We're, we're vulnerable to that. And so Jesus told the disciples, he said, there's something far, 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 far greater than that. You rejoice because, and what word did he use? You know. K-N-O-W. You know. Your name is written in heaven. Now that tells us, too, that not only does God write our name in his book, but he tells us about it. <laughs> he tells us. He reassures us. Here a few days ago, I got to uh, travel out of town, do a wedding. And so I reserved a room. And they said, you know, you'll get, a, you'll get the confirmation email in three, four, or five minutes. Well, I, the next day I hadn't gotten it. So what, what, what would you do? You do what I did. Ah, that's probably okay. Maybe some do that. And they do it about their souls, too. Well, it's probably okay. I'm badly OCD, I guess. And I thought, I don't trust anybody <laughs> to do it right. So I'm calling them. Couldn't get them online, so I called them. I didn't get the email that you recorded my reservation. I didn't get the confirmation. And of course, you know, it was blamed on the computer or something. But I got it. Less than 60 seconds came on my computer. God confirms it. When he's written our name in his book through repentance and faith in Jesus, he confirms it. And listen, he doesn't even send an angel to tell me. He doesn't send Michael, the archangel, the top angel. He doesn't send him to tell me. He does it himself. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. And that isn't a one-time impression. It's a continual confirmation and affirmation and when we begin to if we do drift off the road or head after some temptation we get that everybody knows what I'm talking about I know you know because God's faithful it's hey hey wait a minute don't go there if we go ahead and do it what comes over us? A cloud comes over us. There's a certain, uh, you feel ashamed to even try to pray and act like things are okay because you know they're not. And God's troubling your spirit. 
you know, he said, you know that your name's written in heaven. Certainty is what God's about. Nothing's left to speculation. Speculation isn't good enough. Genetics isn't good enough. I won't go into all the pedigree that I have in the kingdom of God. Except, my great-grandfather was a Methodist circuit writer, preacher. My grandparents were saints. My parents were saints. My, I have this privilege, and it's, it's rare. I went for the first time in 15 or more years back to Indiana to a reunion a year ago of all of the cousins. None of the, my parents' group and the aunts and uncles are all gone. Not one soul there wasn't a thoroughgoing, church-attending, Bible study-attending, Sunday school-teaching Christian. Man, that's a privilege. It's a rare one. But that won't get me to heaven. It won't get me to heaven. I've got to know myself that my name's been written in the book of life. And further, that by the grace of God, we have continued in the way that keeps us in the book of life. The scripture here, I want to look at two of them. <clears throat> the, this business of staying, keeping my name in the book of life is in Revelation 3.5. It simply says this. Well, I'll read the verse prior. This is the church in Sardis, which was a tough kind of a church. And they were in a hard place. And they were, it says they had a name that they were living, but they were actually dead. It was plastic. But Jesus said, you do have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not, not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There's two things here. We keep ourselves undefiled, and we overcome. That's how I keep my name in the book of life. Jesus said there, if you overcome, I won't blot your name out. I probably don't need to make much of this point at all, but just to remind us, abandon forever. Abandon the false notion that once your name is in that book, it can't ever be blotted out. Just get over it. That doctrine has invaded us, but it's it's a noxious weed. It's not an ancient doctrine. It has been flirted with in some of the earlier centuries, 
but never really took root until the Reformation, the 1500s. Once you're saved, you're always saved. If that's a plank of God's truth, I don't know why the Holy Spirit sat around on his hands and didn't do anything about it to give us that wonderful news until the 1500s. God has repeatedly in his word and the words of Jesus himself, so don't throw bricks at me, Jesus repeatedly speaks of blotting people out of the book. We've got to walk straight, fight the good fight, resist temptation, lay hold on eternal life. We're in a warfare. We're on a battleground. A.W. Tozer's quote comes to mind. He said, we're in a raging battleground, but he said, most churches have tried to turn it into a playground. That's where we're at. We're in a playground. And we're going to get beat (laughs) unless we realize there's an old hymn, probably nobody here's ever heard of it, but it's a good one. It's called, My Soul Beyond Thy Guard. My Soul Beyond Thy Guard. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. The armies of sin are pressing hard to draw me from the skies, from heaven. Keep the faith. That's how we remain in the book of life. And then finally, the peril, of course, and I've mentioned it already enough, that we can be blotted out. And the awful scene in the 13th chapter of Revelation, the 20th, the 21st, and the 22nd chapter, of all those, by the way, we talk about end times, It said, everybody whose name is not found written in the book of life will worship the beast. That will be a separation day. Finally, those awful words, whoever's not found, whoever's name is not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. The question then which I think is obvious to us personally. Don't worry about anybody else, but just me. Am I certain this morning that my name is written in the book of life? Am I walking an overcoming life? Am am I fighting the good fight? Am I fleeing, as Paul wrote, flee from any sin, any any way that I bring a cloud over my soul with something I do or say, take care of it. Flee to the fountain open for sin and uncleanness before sin takes root 
and grows in my heart. And when James said, when sin is conceived and is full grown, it brings forth death. Cuts me off. So the question I want to ask us today, each of you, are you sure? Are you certain? Do you have the witness of the Spirit? Your name's written in the book of life. We're going to pray just a brief word of prayer. And then I think I'll just let you remain seated while we'll just have an instrumental playing of an invitational hymn. I think most of us or all of us are familiar with coming to the front and altar call invitation to deal now with whatever God may be talking to me about in my heart. Don't put it off. I don't mean to sound overly preacher story. You can't guarantee me you're going to get home. I can't guarantee you I'll see tonight. If I don't know my name's written in the book of life, I can't afford to put it off. Let's bow our heads. I think we'll just go ahead and play the music. And while this invitational song is playing, slip out of your seat if the Holy Spirit's talked to you. And there are places here at the front to kneel. Do whatever business you can do and need to do with the Lord. And obviously, you don't have to come to the front in order to get right with God. You can do it in your seat. But the front is open to come and kneel and bring to God whatever it is He may be talking to you about. talk to you and you may not feel to pray here get alone sometime this afternoon and talk to God he is the most welcoming heavenly being we know whatever we need he says you come to me and I'll never cast you out dismiss with prayer
Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the one we've heard about this morning, our Savior, our Lord. I pray this morning, Lord, that we would just listen to you and that we would rejoice for those that know that their names are written in the book of life. May we rejoice and know it is by the grace of God that we have that done. And as we continue on, may it be that we realize that we live by your grace and that we live to your glory, Lord, in all that we do. And if there is someone in here this morning that did not respond to the prompting that you've laid upon their hearts just yet, keep speaking to them. Keep talking to them. Keep calling them near to you until one day they would come into agreement with you that they do need you for salvation and for eternal life. So, Father, we love you. Just pray that we would be a congregation that would be obedient to your promptings and to your word, and that we would live a life celebrating the fact that our names are written in the book of life, that knowing that, that it would change the way we live, it would change the way we move about, it would change the way we respond to you, and we would stay away from things that would separate us from you as sin. Give us victory over temptation and help us, Lord, to walk faithfully with you in that celebration of knowing, Lord, when we lay our head on the pillow tonight, I pray that every person here and anyone who might be watching online would be able to lay their head on the pillow tonight and know that they are in the right place with you and that their names are written in the book of life and never take that for granted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.